Today's message is entitled, Hoarder Wars. Hoarder Wars. And it actually came to me in my concept of, of framing this together and the Lord speaking to my heart. Uh, I've, I've seen a show called Hoarders and, and I've seen uh, Homes of Hoarders and uh, I thought of the show Border Wars. And so as a preacher, if something rhymes, it's got to be of God, right? Uh, but we know that the hoarders are, they are people that cannot throw away anything. And we know that the border wars are our law enforcement officials that bravely protect our borders, not day in and day out. And there's shows about both of those. But as we look, as we think about that concept, I realize that this message hit close to home because some of you in here cannot throw away anything. Anybody? I know of a few people, but I will not mention names. And I'm probably just as bad. But uh, some of you may know of someone that probably has their second grade activity participation ribbon. Or uh, something from field day. Or, or maybe the first napkin they had when they met their, their spouse. Or I don't know. It could, be, it could go on and on. But, uh, you know, it, it's one thing to have keepsakes. But it's another thing. And, and there's nobody in here that's hoarders. But I've been in homes to where literally they, over the years, they can't throw away anything. And they end up, they're just buried. They've buried themselves into a house that that they can't even get out of. Because it is so full of stuff and uh, one thing I try to hold on to is one thing to try to hold on to these things uh, and you know every one of us probably has that one room in our house or that one space where it's okay to keep that a mess because nobody's going to see that that's where we put all of our stuff but then again there's maybe a few of you that there's no mess anywhere in your house but for most of us folks we have some place to where we kind of let it go just a little bit and hey, if it's all over the place in your house and you love it, go for it. Live, live like you want to live. But the thing is, is that the, the, this is not a message about cleanliness and about housekeeping, nor is it really a message about keeping our borders safe. I think both of them are important. But the concept that we look at today, they serve as an illustration for what Jesus is trying to teach through the rich young ruler. But as I said earlier, some hoarders, they quite literally bury themselves with their own junk. And sometimes that happens to us as well, and I'll talk about that. Uh, Over the years through the ministry and the fire service, uh, I have been in homes of people that I would consider to be hoarders. I remember one sweet lady in Wilmington, uh, we were doing a a cleanup day. Our our youth mission project was to clean up the homes of some of our shut-ins. And this was a lady, she wasn't a member, but she attended a lot. And so we went to her house and, and bless her heart, we could literally not take two, and this is a duplex, a little house. We could not take two steps, one foot in front of the other, without moving something to get somewhere else. I mean, it, it was just, there was stuff everywhere. And there were some things that, that hadn't even been opened. As a matter of fact, the biggest thing she wanted us to do is there was a box, a flat box that had a storage chest in it. And if you've ever known me or heard me talk about the furniture in a box thing, I cannot stand those things. Because how in the world do you see something in the store that looks like a nice bookcase or a nice desk or something? And then you get the box and it's about that flat with directions in five different languages. 
Oh my goodness. So anyway, we managed to get to that box and we managed somehow to get it out to the front yard. And so after a a few missteps and a few tries, we finally got that thing together. And I thought, right, we are going to be able to help her organize stuff with the storage unit and, and clean up things. And then the thought hit me. We barely got the box out. How are we going to get this thing back in there? And then so as we, we worked and we, we tried our best and, and we got it in there. And the thing was is that after all that stuff was stacked on there, we hadn't made a dent in that house. But you know what? It's okay. She, she was loving life and that's the way she wanted to live. But she just, she could not let go of anything. And there was stuff everywhere. The war was her determining what could stay or what could go. And in that whole day, our war was what can we get rid of? And what are you willing to let go of? And this sweet lady wanted to help, but she was too attached to her things that were not benefiting her. She was clinging on to the very things that were taking away her quality of life. And when we were able to clean up a few things, but to say that we even made a a smidgen of progress in that house, it would be a stretch. And it's really hard to help people. It's really hard to help people when they think they want it, but their actions show that they don't. And so as we look at hoarder wars today, we're going to be looking at a hoarder of sorts. We're looking at the rich young ruler who had a lot of things. And the things that he was holding on to were actually the very things that were keeping him from living the life that Jesus called him to. And that there is a war that you and I fight every single day. The war to hold on to our life as we know it and the way we want it. I think Burger King... They, they hit the slogan of life for many people on the head when they said, you can have it your way. And that's the way we live. We want things our way. And every day we have a choice to live our life as we want to live or as God wants us to live. That is the war today. And the war is illustrated in Jesus' encounter with this rich young ruler. So let's, let's take a moment and dive into that. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 20, we see that you will never change until you see the needs to do so. You will never change until you see the need to do so. And I know many of you could probably see that in your own life. You see it in the lives of people that you've been praying for, maybe family members. But just like the sweet lady I was telling you about a moment ago, she needed change, but she didn't think that she needed it. Or she wanted it, but she didn't want to do what was necessary to get it. He says in verse 16 of Matthew 19, he says, Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus replied, Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Now, as I'm just a little break here. Jesus is not saying that you will gain eternal life by keeping the Ten Commandments. He is using, he is setting this guy up is what he's doing. So that's why you have to read this in context. 
says in verse 18, which ones the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. And you must honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, the rich young man said, I've obeyed all these commands. The young replied, what else must I do? He was feeling pretty good about himself. He said, well, if you're supposed to keep those commands, then, then I must be pretty good. One thing that we see about the man who approached Jesus was, in his mind, he had everything he needed. Let me ask you something out here. Do you have everything that you need? I would say probably most of us would say, no, I could use another something. Or, But, I, you know, a lot of us in here would say, I'm happy with what I have. I'm content with what I have. But what we see is this guy, he... He was trying to be good. He was trying to gain eternal life by being a good person. And so Jesus is talking to him. This man was rich. This man was a man of prestige. And if you look at the same account in the Gospel of Matthew, as in Mark and as in Luke, you will see that two of them say that this was a man. But then you see in Luke, it says, because Luke was a physician, so he has a little bit more detail in his book sometimes, especially at the crucifixion. But he says this was a religious leader. So we have a man, he was described as being rich, he was described as being young, and he was described as being a religious leader. So he had everything. He was a good person who sought to do what was good. And he was probably part of the Jewish Leadership there, maybe even a part of the the Pharisees or the Sadducees. But Jesus made sure to direct the young man's attention to God, our Heavenly Father, where it said, why are you worried about good? There is only one person that is good. He was talking about God, his father. Let me tell you something, folks. There is no amount of things, quote, things that you and I can do that will be good enough for God. We will never be good enough because our natural desire is to sin. However, this is the very reason Jesus came to the earth. But more on that later. Also, this man was looking for what he could do to gain eternal life. Because Jesus was on the scene and that was what was popular. Everybody wanted to know about this eternal life he was talking about. So in verse 18, it's amazing to see that Jesus gives the rich young ruler... When he says, what commandments must I I keep? If you go back and look, he gives six of the Ten Commandments. And all of the commandments that he gives deals with our relationships with other people. And so he's kind of zeroing this guy in and setting him up. And I mean, he's thinking, okay, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't lied. And I honor my parents and I love my neighbors. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself. He had this self-righteousness that made him look past his issues. Jesus, again, is not saying that eternal life comes through obeying six of the Ten Commandments. Folks, salvation is not about how good you and I can be. God knows that we cannot be good enough. That is why he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus was setting the young man up for a huge self-revelation. So what application can we get from this? Number one, folks, if you are consumed with having the appearance of being good 
while striving to be perfect as possible, then you can identify with this young man. If you are trying to seem like you have it all together for your families, for your friends, for your job, for yourself, and act like that everything is okay, that you and this man are in good company. His literal question was, what rule can I follow to gain eternal life? Just tell me what I need to do. In this, this day and age of give me five steps to freedom, he was saying, what must I do to get this? Again, all the emphasis was on him. But here's what I want you to see. You will never know eternal life or the greater blessing that Jesus has for you in your life by just adding him as one of the things in your life. That's what this rich young leader was doing. He was saying, Whoo, this sounds good. Tell me what I need to do. I want some of that. And let me just add it to what I already have. Look, you might be able to compartmentalize your life. You may be able to say, this is what I do on Sunday. And this is what I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and have all of that out. And you might have, well, here I've got, I've got all of my money and this is how I'm going to space this out and budget this out. And this is how I've got my time and this is what I'm going to do with my children. This is what I'm going to do with my family. And you're going to have your whole grand plan and it's not going to work out like you expected. Because you cannot put God in the box. You cannot put Jesus in a box because even a grave couldn't hold him. So don't think that you can just manage him. He is either God or he is not. Jesus is Lord of your life or he's not. He is not an addition. He is not a corner. He is not in your pocket. He is not on your chain around your neck. He is either in your heart and he is your life or he is not. And that is what is being set up here in just a moment. Jesus has a way of reminding us. Jesus has a way of reminding us that we are not in control of our lives. Doesn't he? All we got to do is watch the TV or, or look at our Facebook feed or, or see what's going on today to know that we are not in control. There is a greater force that is in control in this world. There is a greater control than us that is in charge of our lives. And we can try hard to gain control, but we don't have it. The rich young ruler wants eternal life, but he has no idea what it is about to cost him. So Jesus has set him up. And so now we see in verses 21 and 22... And this is scary for me, and I hope it's scary for you. Jesus knows what you treasure most. Jesus knows what you treasure most. Check out verse 21 and 22. Jesus told him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come and follow me. I can hear everybody saying, say what? You sell everything that I have? Surely this is not literal is what you're thinking. But no, that's what he was telling this rich young ruler. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have enough treasure, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. But here's the thing. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. 
says in verse 22. What does it say, church? But when the young man heard this, he went away, what? Sad, forlorn, downtrodden, pooch-lipped, because he couldn't do that. And it says he was sad because he had many possessions. Let me tell you something here today, folks. Jesus loves you too much not to call you out on your idols. Jesus loves you too much not to call you out on your idols. Now look, I know we have got a bunch of churchified, Kentucky fried Christians here today that the day you, you've got it and, and you would think idol worship is the furthest thing from, I mean, none of us have a golden calf in our backyard. I, I don't think so. I haven't seen one. And, and so, I mean, we, you know, we're, no, I'm a Baptist. I don't have a problem with this. Move on, preacher. But I'm telling you, we all have a problem with that. Because there is a constant battle, there is a constant war for us to hoard all that is ours. To grab our family around us. To grab our church around us. To to keep everybody safe and to have life as we want it and try to control our lives. But folks, we have to be careful. Even as good old Baptists, more importantly as Christians... As believers, there is always something seeking the throne of your heart and to kick Jesus off of it. And it doesn't have to be bad things. I'm telling you what, if you put your family over God, your family is an idol. If you put your career or your education or your children over God, it is an idol. Yeah, you might not have a problem with the rich young ruler of having too much money. Or too many possessions. But I guarantee you there. For all of us in here. Myself included. There is something that is always at war. For the center of your heart. And for your devotion. Jesus' command for the rich young ruler. To sell his possessions. Exposed the man's problem. He loved others. Enough to be nice to them. To keep these commandments. But he wanted eternal life. But he loved his money more. Let me ask you this. Does this mean that if you want to be a true Christian, you should sell all your possessions and give away your money? No, but the point Jesus is making here is that if there is anything, any possession, if there is anything or anyone you love more than him, you need to deal with that. I remember back when I was dating Donna, when we were in college, there were times that I wrestled with, have I put her before you, God. Even as a minister, there are times where I have to check myself. Because she doesn't want to be before God. And vice versa. I don't want her to worship me. I want her to worship God. I don't want people at the church to worship the pastor. Look, I'm privileged to be your pastor. But I am just a mouthpiece of somebody who is far greater. It's like I tell people all the time. I'm in sales. I'm not in management. God is in control. And it is all about God. And this rich young ruler cannot see that. The young ruler loves his wealth, which caused him to violate the greatest commandment, which is what? Idol worship. This means that the man was breaking. He, of the Ten Commandments, he had six, six of them to a, to, to the extent. But Matthew 22, 34 through 36 showed 
that he did not love his neighbor as himself, and he did not love the Lord with all his heart. Basically, the rich young ruler loved himself and his money more than following Jesus. He was far from keeping all the commandments as he had claimed this man, I hate to say it, was just like you. The rich young ruler was just like you. And he's just like me. A sinner. In need of forgiveness. And we've all been in that boat. The, these laws that he was keeping. The ten commandments that Jesus came to fulfill. These laws do not save us. But they convict us. And show us where we are wrong. And show us our need for Jesus. So my question to you is. What is your idol? For many people, their money is their God. Not, and, and that's not only for rich people. You can be poor and money be your God. You can be middle income and money be your God. As a Christian, you and I cannot say we love God with all of our heart, yet we keep our money to ourselves. Now, I, I can hear it now, and I, I can hear the purses locking up and the back pockets tightening up. Oh, he's going to be talking about money. There's another. How many times do I talk about money from the pulpit? But I'm telling you what, when it's in there, I'm not going to shy away from it. Jesus said, if you follow a person's money, you will find their heart. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we, we, look, I understand. Again, you can ask Harold. I don't ask who gives what. I don't look at the tithing records. What you give is between you and the Lord. And we have some people that are on fixed incomes that give all we can. And we have some people that have plenty that don't give a dime. Look, this is called a tithe, not a tip. Let me ask you something. God says, I'm going to give you all that I have for you. Just give me the first 10%. So let me, let me flip it around here for a second. When God is giving out His blessings, do you want His leftovers or do you want His best? Tithing is not about the amount. I've had people tell me, well, preacher, I can't afford to tithe. And I would say, you can't afford not to. It's not about the size of the donation. If it is a penny and that's all you have, God sees that. It's not about us trying to build our bank account. It's about you worshiping God with what you have. Do not be this rich young ruler. Do not be sitting in a pew and just going through life, giving a little bit when you can. And God's saying, I want more from you, not just your money. But here's the thing. If you start giving your money like God wants you to do, you'll start giving him your heart. Because that's where your heart is. And when you start giving them your heart, you will start giving them your life. And when you start giving them your life, others will see it. But if you want to hold on to it, go ahead. You will be sad. Just like the rich young ruler. Again, Jesus loves you and I too much not to call out our idols. It says in Mark's account of this story, in Mark 10... 21, I'll put the verse up there. It says that Jesus loves you too much. He says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Look, he wasn't calling out the rich young ruler to make a spectacle of him. He was truly loving him and say, look, I love you. But if you want to follow me, you've got some things that are holding you back. And I love you too much not to tell you. It said the man walked away sad for he had many possessions. 
As I mentioned earlier about hoarders, their possessions that we own have the ability to own us when we do not place them in a proper perspective. Look, where does the money go? Many of us have mortgage payments, automotive payments, health care, food, children, entertainment, miscellaneous expenses. We all have those things. We all, I mean, we all have people say, look, you owe me some money. But look, we owe God money first. And I'm not telling you, you know, this is, oh, he's a preacher. He's, he's supposed to die. Look, I'm an open book. If you want to see my title records, I'll gladly show them to you because they proclaim the goodness of God that does a lot with a little. But even as a minister, when I was younger and stupid, as a youth pastor, there were times where I thought my tithe was my time and our finances were in a wreck. It wasn't until Donna and I decided, look, no matter what comes in, little or much, you get the first part. And the craziest thing happened, folks. I began to become content with what God gave me. I began to see Him work in my heart and in my lives that weren't even tied to money. Even in our great times and in our small times. I know I'm spending a lot of time on money. It's not just about money, but for the rich young ruler, it was. And if God, if your money is your God, I'm begging you to let go of that. Because you are not experiencing all that God has for your life. The third thing that we see is that God, with God, Everything is possible. With God, everything is possible. Verses 23 through 26. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. This is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then, who in the world could be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently. I love it when it says Jesus looked at them intently. You ever had your parents when you were growing up and you did something dumb and they look at you intently? What did that intently look mean? Did it mean go to the backyard and pick your hickory? <laughs> did it did it mean uh, you better go to timeout before I send you to timeout? You know what an intent look means. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Look, the purpose of this passage that Jesus has given us in three of the four synoptic gospels is this. Jesus was saying that a rich person, he was not saying that a rich person cannot enter heaven. He was saying we need him more than we need anything. It's not about the amount. It's about well, who and what is the idol of our lives? Jesus used the man's love of money to show how the man fell short of God's holy standard. As all of us do, the rich, the young ruler, the rich young ruler needed a savior, and so do we. And there will always be something or someone seeking to take the place of Jesus at your heart. But Jesus says you can win that fight because through him, nothing is impossible. People would look at you as being in church today and say, praise God, nothing is impossible. Some of you have family members that you would give anything to see in church. Let me tell you something. 
Nothing is impossible with Jesus. You say, there's some things that God's calling me to do. I don't know if I can do it. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. I mean, that's, that's pretty self-explanatory. Through Him, nothing is impossible. And then we see that your hoarder war will be won by keeping an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Boy, we were, we were talking about this this morning in Bible study. It, it's so easy to get consumed by what's happening in, in our life today and thinking about the dreaded tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. When God really says all over in Scripture, look, I just want you to live for today. And I don't want you to look around. I want you to look up. That's what he's saying. He says here in verse 27, Then Peter said to him, (laughs) I love this, the disciples, especially Peter, look, they are the most spiritual men that probably ever walked this earth, but you see the humanity in them. Jesus has just done this illustrious lesson for this rich young ruler. And he has given the disciples an intent look. And then now here's Peter. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Let me give you a translation. Hey, Jesus, what's in it for us? Kind of a uh, brash thing to say to Jesus, I think. But you know what? I think all of us say that to Jesus. We might, we might not say it like Peter does, but we might say, what's in it for me? What about me? What do I get? How can I be pleased? And Jesus says, I assure you that when the world is made new, and when the world is made new, I read that now with, with so, and I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit just for a second, and I'm sorry, I'll get you out on time, I know. But I'm going to chase a quick rabbit. We've been studying about heaven on Wednesday night. And when it says here that I assure you when the world is made new, I want you to understand, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the new earth. And what we have learned through our study is that heaven, the new earth, is not going to be a huge cloud with us having wings going around, hopping from cloud to cloud and strumming harps. Heaven or excuse me, the new heaven is going to be a resurrected earth. The new earth that he talks about. When the earth is made new. That is promising to me, folks. That even Jesus is saying, look, one day. I mean, as Christians, we have no problem imagining when we go to a funeral or we think about our loved ones, that our bodies are going to be resurrected. Anybody have a problem understanding that concept? But do you understand just as our bodies are going to be resurrected, this ball of dirt is going to be resurrected and it is going to be beautiful. Jesus says here, when the earth is made new, the son of man sits upon his glorious throne. You have been my followers who always sit on the 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 29, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or property, for my sake, will receive, how much? A hundred times. A hundred times as much in return. And will inherit eternal life. I don't know about you, but as an, if I were investing in something, hearing that I was going to get 
a hundred times profit on what I invest in, that's a pretty good investment. If understanding that what I invest in leads to me having eternal life and others having eternal life, that is a good investment. Verse 30 says, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I just, weird things come to my mind when I preach. Because I've got my notes and then other things come by. But I think about the parable of the widow's mite. If you remember the, the, the Pharisees were going into the temple and ringing the shofar. They were trying to make as much money, I mean, as much noise as they could, showing everybody how much money they were giving to the church. And then the little woman comes in with a, what they call the widow's mite that might have been worth like half a penny. And, and Jesus says that that woman gave more. All that money that those Pharisees gave when they rang the shofar, trying to make all that noise with the money they were given, all of that is gone. But that little widow's mite and that little widow hundred times the investment. And many people that are invested and are not flashy today will get their reward in eternity. So what is give up for Jesus' sake will be multiplied a hundred times in heaven. What do we give up? Our time, our talents, and our resources. We give glory to God today. It will be an investment for eternity. I can't tell you as a former youth pastor and even as a pastor sometimes when the number of families that I have seen to do all they can to get their kids involved in sports and academics and, and extracurricular activities. And look, that is fine. That is important. I think it's, every kid needs to do that. But they don't place church as a priority. And they wonder why they raise their kids and the kids never come back to church. Folks, I don't know of any family has been hurt by bringing her kids to church. And you might think, well, you don't understand, preacher, what it means to get a child ready for church in the morning. I understand because I used to be a child. But I can't imagine being a parent trying to get kids ready for, for church. But understand the reason it's hard is because the devil doesn't want them here. And God bless you for putting up the struggle to do that. And you will never know God's blessing until you give him control of all your life, not just a part of it. Let me ask you something. Let's say anybody ever been parasailing before? That's where they take a you have? But why am I not surprised? <laughs> now, I wouldn't do it just for the, the, the sheer physics of it. You know what I'm saying? But let's say we're, we're going to hook you up to a parasail. And they hook you up and they're getting ready to hit the throttle and they're going to, the boat's going to go and it's going to pull you up into the sky and you tell them, you ask them, say, well, how safe is this thing? And they say, well, there's a 99% chance that it won't break. 99%. 99 is not 100. So you're saying there's a chance. Well, there's always a chance, but here's, here's my thing. Look, if you give God 99% of your life for his to do as he wishes, he will still want that 1%. You know how I know that? You can go back to the Old Testament and remember a guy named Abraham. 
who God told him, take your son up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him? Some of you who have children today are saying, nope, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And I don't blame you. I couldn't either. But Abraham and his faith, he takes his son up to the mountain and, and Abraham's son says, well, where's the sacrifice? Where's the animal we're going to sacrifice? And there's not one around. I think he started to get the picture. And right as Abraham is up, ready to wield the knife into his son, he says, stop. And God provides a scapegoat or provides a ram on the other side. Why would God do that to Abraham? Why would God ask Abraham to give him his son like that? Because God knew he would never have all of Abraham until he had all of Abraham. Including his family. And let me tell you, my friend, God wants all of you. Not just part of you. And you think, well, how in the world could he have asked Abraham to do that? Well, I think because it was an illustration of what God ended up doing for you. In me, giving his son as a ransom for our sin. Because when it comes to giving God things, if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. There's a website called The Voice of Martyrs, and it has this illustration. It says, two years ago, a man named Azebo was a young Zambian. Placed, he placed his faith in Christ. And after he had been talking with a missionary about his nightly dreams he'd been having about Jesus... When he returned home, he told his family, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And within two weeks, he was kicked out and on the streets. I'm telling you, overseas, if you come to Christ, you are thrown out of your family. Sometimes it's even worse. Persecution is real today, folks. But you know what? They, he, he, God worked in that. He went back to that missionary. That missionary got him into a program. And now Azebo is now working and making a living for himself. What's important in this life will not be in eternity. Again, I say this all the time. I've done a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of funerals. So have you. Have you ever seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse? No. Or even if there was one, it wouldn't go anywhere. We don't take it with us. It's only what our investments in our life do. And we have to remember, when we remember what is important in this life, it will not be an eternity. Let me remind you of something. Can you all remember back when you were in middle school? Remember that? Even high school? Where the opinion of others meant everything. You don't believe me? Go back and look at the pictures of your hairdos. And the clothes you were wearing. That's like we were talking, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and they were talking about buying jeans for their daughter and they said, they have holes in them now. $50 jeans with holes in them. And I said, I can remember back in the 80s, my mom, I'd, we'd go out and she'd be buying my clothes and I'd say, mom, I want those with the holes in them. They come with holes? You are not going out of my house with holes in your jeans. But that was the thing. The jeans were acid washed. Remember acid washed jeans? The Jordache jeans? Checkered shoes, spiked hair. Man, that was 
Back to the Future. Woo! That was awesome. And I think about how consumed I was to look like everybody else, to be like everybody else, and to have everybody's approval. And today it means nothing. Except it's a good laugh at my own expense. Folks, I'm telling you what. These things that we work to surround our lives with, that consume our lives, are not going to heaven with us. And so, if there's something in your life that is seeking to take the place of Jesus and seeking to be an idol in your life, I would tell you lovingly to get rid of it because it's not going with you and it's not doing you any good here. We've got to keep Jesus at the forefront of our heart. So, in conclusion, be honest with God and yourself this morning. It is only His opinion that matters. So my question would be this. Does God have all of you or part of you? Does God have all of you or part of you? Do not spend your life trying to acquire all that life has to offer while forsaking Jesus' call upon your life. Some of the most miserable people I've ever talked with, and my heart breaks for them, is when I talk, I hear them and I talk with them and they say, you know what? The Lord was calling me into some type of service for the Lord. Or the Lord was calling me to do this at the church or something and something along those lines. And they say, I didn't do it. And now I've been miserable ever since. What a sad way to be. To live a life knowing that God asked you to do something and you told him no. Because like the rich young ruler, you will walk away sad. The things you seek to fill your life with will be the very things that trap you just like a hoarder. And you will be sad. The rich young ruler wanted eternal life. And you can have that today. Not by keeping a rule. But by accepting his gift. God's gift of his son. To cover the penalty of your sin. Either as salvation for the first time. Or as sanctification. That process that many of you in here have been saved. But over the years our priorities get kind of skewed. Just like when you got saved, all you got to do is run to Christ. And His blood is powerful enough to forgive us and to help us move on. Because remember, last thing, the reason this guy was, Jesus was confronting this guy is why? Because He loved him. I urge you today to take inventory of your life and make sure that Jesus is at the center of your life. To make sure God is the center of your life. And to make sure that there are no idols that have tried to form against Him. Let's pray. God, thank You for this service. Thank You for this message, Lord. And this is my prayer. If anyone has been convicted, Lord, they need You as their Savior, or they need to rededicate their lives, they need to clean the throne of their heart, Lord, and and put You back on the middle of that. If they'd like to come forward and pray at the altar, pray with me. Or pray right where they are, Lord. May they do that. Maybe someone wants to join the church, be baptized. Whatever it may be, this invitation is a time for you to work, Lord. We thank you for this day. And we thank you for the message that Jesus has given us in his word. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?